Like everything nowadays just reminds me of my kids. If you have children, especially little ones, children have a way of just gravitating around your feet. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Like they're just always there. And so I am very glad that despite my size, I'm, I'm quite fleet of foot. Because there have been so many times where I almost need my daughter in the head or I almost kick them across the ground or I trip on them. They just kind of hide behind your leg, hide behind your feet. When I sit down, both my daughters climb into my lap and sit at my feet when I'm walking around. When, I, when I'm leaving and they don't want me to go, they hold on to my feet and just let me drag them across the ground. And, and I mean, I don't know if, if I'm unique. I think this is all parents. I think all parents have this issue with kids at their feet. But there is something special about mine. As a matter of fact, fact, there was one time uh, we were taking a nap and my oldest daughter was in the bed with me and uh, I woke up and I couldn't move. And let me show you why I couldn't move. You guys have that? This is how I woke up. <laughs> that girl was using my leg as a body pillow. And, and literally she does that almost every time. It's so annoying because I like to be like, leave me alone. Like, don't cuddle me at night. I, I, I run hot. But I think that's like her, her blanket. She doesn't like a blanket. She likes my leg. And so that's just kind of how she is. My kids are always, always at my feet. And I, I think about that. And I think about how God has called us to continually be at his feet. And that's a phrase we often use at the feet of Jesus and being at the feet of Jesus. But, but I want you to understand there's actual important context to this, okay? And, and in the Bible, there's one person in particular that I think did a better job of this than anybody else, or at least one that is more highlighted than anybody else. And it's a person by the name of Mary. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to Mark chapter 6, verse 31. It says in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, And Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't have enough time to eat. And, and again, in this chaos of what's going on, there's a woman named Mary, one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the friends of Jesus. She is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This is kind of like Jesus' homies, and we've read about them. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the guy that Jesus brought back from the dead, that Lazarus, it's the same Lazarus we're talking about. They were friends and followers of Jesus, but Mary in particular, she knew how to take advantage of every encounter with Jesus. She was always putting herself in position to receive from Jesus. See, the idea of being at the feet of Jesus means you're always ready you're always in proximity. You're always close enough to receive whatever it is that you need from the Lord. Oftentimes, I think in life, we struggle, we worry, we panic because we sit there and go, well, where's Jesus and where's God in my life and this is going on and I need guidance and I need to seek the Lord and I need to go to church and I need to find God. And if you can learn to just stick to his feet, you never have to look for him. If you learn to stay at the feet of Jesus, there is never going to be a time of searching or wondering if he's even around. She was always putting herself in position right at his feet. And in the ancient times, a student of a rabbi, a learner, would sit at the feet of the master. The way that they would teach in, in, in other times, in, in ancient times, at least in the times of Jesus, is the rabbi would sit and all of his students would sit at his feet. 
And there at his feet is where there was the position of learning. That's where they postured themselves. Think of like kindergarten with the teacher sitting down and the, all the kids surrounded on the carpet. That's what adults did in ancient times. That's how they learned and how they gathered together. And on top of just a position of learning, it was a sign of humility, a sign of honor, a sign of readiness. You are above me. You are leading me. I am sitting down to learn from you. And three times at least we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, each for a very specific reason. The first one is this. We see Mary, she sat at the feet of Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus, why? Because she was trying to learn. There was this particular day where Jesus comes over to their house, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, to have dinner. And Martha, she's working really hard, preparing all the meals, cleaning up the house. Y'all ever had it? I hated company coming over my house. I didn't mind going to your house, but going to my house, it was like, we got to clean this, you got to clean that. The worst one is, Joey, go clean your room. I'm like, ain't nobody going in my room. Why I got to clean my room for? And there's always probably like that one cousin who's much younger than you and nobody likes, and, and, and they come over, like, your mom said I could play in your room. You're like... I don't, even, I don't even know you, kid. Like, and so, you know, I hated this, this time and because it was so annoying. Stress always went up in my house whenever people were coming. The volume of yelling always increased because everyone's stressed out from cleaning and, and worrying about everybody's just assumption of that we live like pigs or whatever. And so we have this whole paranoia. And I think Martha's kind of like that, right? Martha's, she's working hard. She's cleaning the house. She's prepping the meal. She's cooking everything up. And then she looks at Mary like many siblings do. And Mary's not cleaning, and Mary's not cooking, and Mary's not prepping. Mary's sitting down. Now listen, again, older siblings, I'm 100% sure, the Bible doesn't tell us, man, I am confident Martha's the older sister. Because, you know, we, the older siblings, y'all are like that. You're doing whatever, you, even if it's your job, you're cleaning the dishes, how come they're not cleaning the dishes? It's like, they cleaned them yesterday, they can clean them today too. Like, there's always this annoyance with your younger siblings. So Martha looks over, and she sees Mary seated at the feet of Jesus. And what does she do? She does what a lot of siblings do. She complains. She says, Jesus, what are, look at what? Come on, are you serious? Luke chapter 10, verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Martha complains. And listen to what happens in verse 41. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary learned to sit at the feet of Jesus. She learned that sitting at his feet is more important than serving his hand. Here's where a lot of us get confused. A lot of us are busy serving God, and so busy we never sit with God. We're busy serving God. Well, you know, I'm on the cameras and I help out with youth and I volunteer with children and, and I do stuff at home and I raise money for missions and I'm doing all these things, Pastor. Obviously, I'm a good Christian. Look at all the things I'm doing. And God's going, you're doing a lot of things for me, but you're never actually with me. So what does all that matter? And there are a lot of us who have convinced ourselves that we are in a good place with God because of all the things we do for God. But in Revelation, we see when God talks to the church of Ephesus, he commends them on all the wonderful things they do. But then he says, but I hold this one thing against you, Ephesus. You don't love me like you used to. Turn back to your first love. In other words, God's still going to let you go. I don't care what you do for me if that means you're never with me. And we understand that, right? <laughs> Spouses, what good is it 
if your spouse is working really hard and, and taking care of all the things at home and, and you know, making sure that everything is running well, but you haven't talked in two months. You haven't gone on a date. You haven't been intimate. You haven't had conversations. You're strangers. Listen, there are a lot of people who divorce once their kids are out of the house because they realize they've been strangers for 18 years. They were always worried about their children and never got to know each other or grow with each other. You can't let it be like that. We get it on our level, but it works the same way with God. Does God want you to serve? Has God given you a purpose and a plan that includes service and acts and things that he has purposed for only you to do? Absolutely. And that's a wonderful thing to have. But it comes after the intimacy that we have with the Lord. It comes after sitting at his feet. See, Jesus is saying, listen, you're worried about all the details. But Mary's discovered the one thing that's important, and I will not take this away from her. Listen, we have to make sure we understand something. Some of us, even just not on the service end, some of us, we work so hard at not being bad instead of just sitting at his feet and learning to love Jesus the way he loves you. So, so what we think is, well, if I just change my behavior, then God will love me more. And if I just do the things that I'm supposed to do, then God will be pleased with me. And if I just you know, behave and get good grades, God will love me. That's a wrong, wrong mentality. And what happens more often than not is you put all this energy into trying to be this perfect person, which inevitably fails, and you feel like a failure, and then you feel like God's mad at you or God's disgusted with you, and then you walk away from God. When he never felt like that. Here's the reality. If you just learn to sit at his feet, you'll learn how to behave. You'll learn what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And it's not one of those things that you have to. It's one of those things that you, it's a revelation that comes to mind where you realize, God, this, this thing that I've been doing, it's starting to interfere with this thing that I'm doing, this relationship I have with you. So now it's not that I don't want to do this. I do. It's just that I want you more. And all this time I've been sitting at your feet, I've fallen more in love with you and less in love with this. That's the only way you break free from sin is when you love God more than your sin. And the only way you can do that is whoever gets more of your time. If sin gets more of your time, it gets more of your heart. If God gets more of your time, he gets more of your heart. But it's about sitting in his presence, talking to God in prayer, reading your Bible, taking time and worship, just even just sitting there reflecting on the things that God has done and who he is, having intimacy with the Lord. Mary's discovered it at the feet of Jesus. And Martha got mad because she thought Mary had it wrong. When in reality, listen, some of you, you'll serve every day of your life and never get to serve the king in heaven because you never got to know him. You serve an idea, not a person. You serve a religion, not God. And so we have to learn to sit at his feet. The second thing that Mary did, not only did she sit at the feet of Jesus, but Mary fell at the feet of Jesus. She had a heart that was fully surrendered. The Bible tells us when Lazarus died, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that Mary ran and she had a conversation with Jesus, and then Mary, or Martha, I'm sorry, comes back and she tells her sister, Mary, Mary, the master is here. And again, if you look at that scenario, their brother just died, and they knew, they're fully aware that Jesus could have prevented his death. So there had to have been, or there at least could have been, some cynicism or some anger or some frustration with God because you didn't prevent it from happening. You're supposed to be this all-powerful God. We pray to you and you answer our prayers. But when I made this request, you didn't fulfill it. And so now there can be bitterness and there can be anger. 
But in John chapter 11, verse 32, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here Mary shows a surrendered heart. She understands that whatever is over her head is still under God's feet. Often, I think we come to God frustrated and angry. Jesus didn't do what we thought he should do in the way we thought he should do it. And so now we're frustrated with him, we're angry with him. And listen, I've been there. I've been angry at God because he didn't do what I asked him to do, because he didn't fulfill what I asked him to fulfill. I was angry at God because I prayed what I thought was according to his will and why wouldn't God want to do this and why wouldn't he do it this way and then he doesn't do it and I'm frustrated and I'm angry and listen, there have been plenty of times in my life where I've wondered what's the point of even praying then? If you're just going to do what you want to do, God, why should I even pray? But a heart fully surrendered understands that God, yes, you will do what you want to do but what you want to do is always better than what I need. How you approach things is always better than how I approach them. After that, Jesus ends up bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And in Job chapter 11, verse 13 through 15, we're reminded, here's a man who went through serious, serious sorrow and says, surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer. Give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. A surrendered heart comes with being or fallen at the feet of Jesus. What does that mean? When you fall at his feet, it's a posture of surrender. It's a bowing down. When you bow down before somebody and you, and you give up your rights and you give up your privileges and you say, I am fully surrendered to your will, then and only then can God fully do whatever he wants to do in your life. The problem is many of us are not fully surrendered. We're, we're kind of surrendered. We surrender areas that we think we need to surrender, but we keep areas that we kind of want to keep for ourselves. So God, I surrender almost every aspect of my life, but, but this part, uh, I'm still in charge here. I'm still the king of this part. But you can have all the other parts. Listen, God, 90%, that's a good deal, right? You get 90%, I get my little 10%, but what you don't realize is that 10% is the percent that's killing you. That 10% is the percent that's holding you back. That 10% is the percent that's preventing God from doing the things he wants to do 100% of the time in your life. And so the problem is not that we don't trust God, it's that we're not fully surrendered to God. It's really a pride thing. There's a part of you, you don't say it vocally, but there's a part of you that thinks you know better than God, that assumes you're in charge, or that even doubts that God will jump in, so I gotta do it. God, I'm not sure if you're gonna answer this prayer, so I'm gonna go ahead and make it happen. God, I'm not sure if she's the one, but I kinda want her to be the one, so I'm gonna make her the one. And 10 years down the road, you're like, she was not the one. Mm. No. Now you're stuck in that, bro. I'm sorry. Not, that's how it rolls. And, and so we, we get frustrated with God oftentimes. And it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Because of our pride. Because of our unwillingness to be fully surrendered. Because of our almost childishness in saying, no, I want what I want when I want it. And the worst thing God can do is say, then go ahead and have it. Mary understood, yes, my brother died, but you can bring him back. You can lift him up. And even if you don't, I trust you. I trust everything you do in every way that you do it. The third thing, Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. She honored Jesus. After Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus was invited to a dinner to celebrate. This must have been a Latino dinner. It's just one of those things we find every reason to celebrate. 
But in the middle of the dinner, Mary did something unexpected in John chapter 12, verse three. Then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. The washing of feet was a very, very important step and it was also something that was done by the lowest servant of the household. Now, why is washing the feet important? Because these are sandals in the Middle East, okay? You had some dirty feet. You walked around for days. There was no taxis or no Ubers. Like you just, everywhere you went, you walked. There were no fat apostles. All of them were skinny. They walked everywhere. And wherever they got, when they walked into a home, there was a ceremony where there would be a washing of their feet. Now, again, these feet are gross. These are worse than Flintstone's feet. And so the lowest servant of the house, like not, not it, that guy, whoever's the new guy, they had to come and they had to perform the washing of the feet. Well, Mary bursts through the room, and not only does she wash Jesus' feet, but she uses a very, very expensive bottle of perfume. Some scholars think this is probably a year's salary. So let's just say average salary is 45000 a $45,000 bottle of perfume. She breaks it open and pours it at his feet. Which, by the way, just as, as a note on this, this is the real honor. She didn't open the bottle and pour it out. She could have done that. She could have just, just poured it out. But the Bible says she broke it. Why did she break it? Because she's not putting anything back. She's pouring it all out. It says this is gone. There's no, no plan B. There's no like, I'm going to put a little bit, then I'm going to put the cat back on, save some for later. I'm going to give you $25,000 worth of perfume, and I'm going to keep another little bit for me. She broke it and said, it's all you. It's all yours. She took that humble step. And in Mark chapter 14, verse eight through nine, says she had done what she could and she anointed my body for burial ahead of time. This is Jesus. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Like we're doing right now, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that bottle of perfume, not what it costs. We're still talking about the act. We're still talking about what she did. Jesus knew his time was coming it's interesting that Jesus mentions this to the disciples. Why? The disciples were always fighting for recognition. The disciples were always arguing. So like, who's your favorite, God? Who's gonna be the best among us? Who's got the highest order? A couple of them, James and John, they even had their mom come, hey mom, could you ask Jesus if we can sit at the right and the left hand of him? I don't know, I mean, just can you ask for him? He likes you, mom. Could you go talk to <laughs> Always, always arguing. And what does Jesus say? Hey, you guys. For all of history, they're going to remember what she did. Not when you cast out that demon and not when you walked on that. No, no, they're going to remember what she did. It was Jesus kind of digging and saying, listen, you're missing the point. The point is not honoring you. The point is honoring me. Seeing who will be the best. Listen, Charles Spurgeon once said, oh, cries of a brother, tell me what I could do for Jesus. Nay, but brother, I must not tell you the better part of the whole matter will lie in the hollowed ingenuity of your spirit and inventing something for him out of your own fervent soul. In other words, when it comes from the heart to serve the feet of Jesus, that's when it's genuine and honoring service. So when you serve God because you feel obligated to, because it's what people do, then you miss out on the whole point. But when you serve wholeheartedly, when you give of yourself, 
everything comes with that. Your finances come with that. Your efforts come with that. Your family comes with that. Everything goes in when you serve God with the full heart. When you honor the Lord, everything that comes with you comes with that honor. And so it's, it's important for us to understand it's not about pleasing God so that he's not mad at us. It's pleasing God because he already loves us. And so when I surrender to his feet, when I am fully given over and I honor him in every way, shape, or form, that means, God, you can have whatever you want of me. I am at your feet. I honor you as King of kings and Lord of lords. Whatever you want, God, however you want it, it is yours. You just say the word and I will come running. I wonder how many of us honor Jesus with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. See, that's, that's the problem we have to avoid, that we honor God with lip service, with wearing a cross around our neck, with showing up on Sunday every week, but your heart, it's not at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't honor God with the way that you live Monday through Saturday. It doesn't honor God with the way that you speak to your family, to your coworkers. It doesn't honor God with the things that you do recreationally. It doesn't honor God with the way that you carry yourself when other Christians aren't around. See, honoring the Lord is about your whole life, none of it being poured back into the bottle. You are a broken vessel poured out and spilt for the Lord. So every aspect of you, wherever you go, you're the same person. Whatever you do, you're that honoring person. Even when it comes to other things that people may not know about, you honor God the way you do your taxes. You honor God the way you carry yourself at the job. You honor God the way you interact with other people and the way you deal with other people. You're an honoring person because you honor God. But you don't do that unless you're fully surrendered and unless you're fully at his feet on a regular basis. Worship team, if you can come up. I love this image of Mary because again, we just, every time we see her, we find her at his feet. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Obviously you saw there's a number of different reasons that she's there. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus because she wanted to spend time with him. She wanted to be intimate with the Lord. She wanted to learn from him. She wanted to grow in her understanding of who he is. And so she took extra care to sit at his feet. Mary fell at his feet in full surrender, understanding that even in the most difficult of times, God, you understand what you're doing. You know more than I do. Mary anointed his feet and honoring him above herself and understanding that your ways are better than my ways, that your purpose is greater than mine, that I honor you above my own life and above what I want to do. But here's the thing. I think we can do all that stuff. But what happens in critical moments? What happens when serious persecution comes? When real difficulties happen? Because see, it's easy to sit at the feet of Jesus when you're blessed. It's easy to sit at the feet of Jesus when you have everything you need in life, right? When, when everything's going well and you're getting promoted at your job and, and, you're, and you're, you know, your kids are growing up great and everyone's healthy and things are going phenomenal, those are easy times to lift up your hands and say, hallelujah, God is good, thank you, Jesus easy in those times but we've seen a lot of believers run in times of difficulty when stuff happens that you didn't plan for them to happen when a loved one gets sick and that sickness ends in death many have run when you sat at his feet but you didn't understand what he was doing and you got angry at God and you ran when a loved one walks away from the Lord that you never thought would 
and you have no control over the situation because you never did, you run. When your prayers go unanswered or you feel like God's not listening to you, you run. There's been so many instances when people start to challenge you, when, when it starts to get a little bit more dangerous to be a Christian at the job or at school or in other places because, listen, it's not like before. Before, people maybe didn't agree with you, but they kind of were like, you live your life, I'll live mine. Now we live in a day and age where there is active aggression towards you and your faith. So what do we do? We get silent, we get small, and we hide, and we run. I'm not saying this to beat you up. I'm telling you this because it's a very natural thing that we see all throughout Scripture. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Many of them come back. They're looking for more bread, not more Jesus. Jesus points out, if you want to be my disciple, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the Bible says that many disciples abandoned him. There was others who wanted to follow him, and they said, well, first let me bury my family. He goes, no, let the dead bury themselves. You come follow me. They didn't want to follow him. There's just many instances where Jesus puts the bar too high for some people and they walk away. And even his, his closest circle, his closest disciples, in the moment where they needed him the most, at the moment where he's captured, he's beaten, he's destroyed, and he's hung up on a cross, 10 of those disciples abandoned him. Or at least 11, because Judas took his life. Only one of the male disciples stuck around John. But oftentimes we always say like all the disciples but John abandoned them. That's not true. Not if you look at John chapter 19 verse 25. Because listen to what the scriptures say here. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister married the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. All the guy disciples left except for John. There's a handful of women who stood by, followers of Jesus. One of them, the same Mary we've been talking about all morning. When Jesus was at his worst, when her faith was the most critical, Mary stood by the feet of Jesus. Literally, if he's hanging on a cross, his feet were in direct proximity of her face. And when everybody else ran, Mary stayed faithful. Mary stood at his feet, come what may. Church, I wonder, you're a believer, you're a faithful Christian. Will you stay faithful when you think God's not being faithful to you? It's just not true, it's a perception we have. But will you stay faithful? Will you stay faithful when things don't go your way? Are you going to be like that kid nobody liked in the neighborhood who always took his ball and went home? Are you going to be faithful to God? when the outcome isn't what you wanted? Are you going to stay faithful to God when real persecution comes? Which we don't, in America, we don't really struggle with real persecution. There are people all across the world today that are being threatened by death and beatings on a regular basis for their faith. The worst we really have to deal with is somebody being mean to us verbally or online. That's probably the extent of it all. But are you willing to say, I will stay standing at the feet of Jesus, no matter what the threat around me will be. Listen, Mary, the reason the disciples left isn't because they didn't like Jesus anymore. It's because they're being persecuted. They're being hunted down. They were going to be strung up. They were going to be hanging right next to him. And they loved their life more than they loved God. And Mary had those same threats. 
It's not like she was exempt. It's not like there were no female martyrs in the early church. But she stood her ground. Why? You don't understand how much time I spent sat at his feet. I've already fully surrendered at his feet. I've given myself over to his feet. I'm not about to leave him today. 